Dowdy As always, when we come on air on the Monday night, Aina and Niall are having an old chinwag. What are you talking about, guys? Well, we're talking about Loch Derg and Donegal, if you must know. I must know. The listener must know, because they kind of overheard you. <laughs> What's going on in Loch Derg? Oh, no. Well, apart from the usual, it was house martins that were diving into banks of clay and mud, apparently, as Niall has been telling me, to repair their nests, because their nests are made from mud and saliva and... Obviously, the storms and things hadn't done them any good, so they needed to have a, a repair job going on. Yeah, it's obviously late in the season, but the House Martins would still be nesting. They'd be trying to get their, at least their final brood away before they head off on their migration. Where exactly they migrate to, we don't actually know. <laughs> Presumably somewhere in Africa, although the wintering grounds of the vast majority of the population have never been discovered. So I think that what they're probably doing in this video, because it almost looks like they're eating the mud, but of course they're not doing that. Um, they're mixing it in their mouths with, with saliva to make little mud bricks. And I was just speculating what I think is happening is that the, the, the strange weather we've had in recent weeks may have affected the integrity of their nests. They may be a bit rough around the edges, a bit the worse for wear. So they might be doing some repairs just to make sure that those eggs or chicks are as safe as possible. Might get them away one last brood before they head off on migration. Mm, and when will they leave? They normally would leave in September. It's not like um, all of a sudden they're gone like swifts do in, usually in early August. And like same with the puffins as well. Just click your fingers, they're gone. They sort of fizzle out over a longer period of time. But usually in September we'd see them go. The swallows, to which they're closely related, they tend to go, the first one's around the same time, but their migration is even more prolonged than that. And you get some lasting well into October. Well, now the house martin, the swift, the swallow, how can you tell them apart? Well, and there's another one in the mix too, another one called the sand martin, which sand we have martin, as well. Of course, yeah. But you don't <laughs> see those too often unless you're around sandy bank areas. Yes, that's true. Or maybe along along um, you know some river and waterways. But the, the, the thing with it with, with them all is, well, first of all, let's take the swift. So the swift, although it's superficially similar to the other three that we mentioned, it's not related to them in any way. It's a completely different family of birds, actually more closely related to hummingbirds than it would be to, to the swallows and martins. Uh, they are much larger. They're about roughly twice the size of a swallow. And you'll never see them perched or land, landing anywhere. They can't actually walk properly. They, they can grab onto brickwork and high buildings with their feet, but they can't walk or perch. Uh, and so they're always in the sky when you see them. And they're all As dark. As we discovered last week, listening to Aina's conversation with your colleague. Indeed, absolutely. And uh, so, so they're, they're birds that you tend to hear screaming over cities and urban areas and towns and villages during the, the middle of the summer. And the other one too then, people are always mixing them up, aren't they? The house martin and the swallow and they, they think house martins are swallows. Now why is that? Why do, why do people mix them all up? Well I suppose in a sense it's not incorrect to say that house martins are swallows because they're a species of swallow. They're in the same family. When we say swallow we mean the bird that's known globally as the, as the barn swallows. That's our swallow. So you're quite right in it. Um, they have um, different strategies and slight different plumage as well. So both of them are predominantly dark above and pale below. The swallow has a lovely red face. Dark red. It's hard to see that. Because, well, well you, you might see, notice the difference when you realise that the face of the house martin is pure white. So if you see them flying overhead, you would notice that white face. So the absence of the white face is how you might identify it. Um, but probably the easiest way is to look at um, the upper back, if you can see that. And they're often twisting and turning so you will get a view. The house martin has a white patch on the lower back, a bit like a sugar lump. That's what it looks like. The swallow is uniquely dark above. It looks black from a distance. Up close, it's actually really intensely dark, dark, glossy blue. Same with the, with the house martin. And it's the swallow that has the long tail streamer. So they have a, almost looks like a knitting needle coming off the corner, each corner of the tail. Now only the adults have that. 
the young don't, so they're a little bit harder to judge. But, but isn't it the nesting is what yeah. gives them away, essentially? That's it. Um, so often people will say, I've got swallows nesting uh, in a mud nest under the eaves of my house, and they're always going to be house martins because swallows don't do that. Swallows build a nest with mud, but also intersperse it with dried grass, a bit of a structural strength there. And they yeah, would. And the swallows don't stick it onto something. It's kind of like a cup sitting on a rafter or something. It could be. It could be yeah. sitting on a shelf or a rafter. I've seen them actually using an old coat hanger in a shed as some sort of support. So they do look for some sort of structural support there, but it's always inside a, a human built structure. So it's inside a shed or a barn or a garage or a porch. What the house martins do is they make a nest that's more, more intricate, larger, more dome shaped, uh, and it is pure mud. There's no straw or grass mm-hmm. in it. And what they do is they fix it on the outside of a building, usually under the eaves, somewhere it's sheltered quite or high. Or over up. the door when you come out in your, in your more Sunday finery. <laughs> so a woman was telling me that when the summer comes she's never able to go out the back door because that's where the house martins are, are nesting and with unerring accuracy her good hat gets destroyed every day. <laughs> and we do get people contacting the programme and contacting Birdwatch Ireland as well asking how do I get rid of these awful birds? How can I stop them nesting and messing up the place? Of course, we're champions of these birds. We absolutely love them. They need all the help they can get because their populations are declining for various reasons. But from from my point of view, a little bit of droppings maybe on the wall or even on your Sunday best, it is honestly a small price to pay for the services they give us. They're beautiful to look at. They're really engaging. But they're also hoovering up all sorts of midges and mosquitoes and other little flying nasties that can cause us problems. I so don't know why people can't keep an umbrella by the back door and when they're going to go out, put up the umbrella and then when they get to the shed, put it down again and they have protection going in and out. I mean, if you want to do it, you can. And if you want to complain, there's always a good reason. Henry Ford was right. Was he? Yeah, he said if you want to do it or you don't want to do it, you can think of perfectly good reasons to justify either no, right. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I find most amazing about these birds, we take the swallows that are nesting all over Ireland at the moment in our sheds and barns and porches. And what they're going to do in just the next few weeks, they're going to undertake this massive migration all the way down to southern Africa. I remember uh, Eric Dempsey did that wonderful documentary yeah, all about egg them. to Africa. Um, and it really brought home to me just that amazing journey that they make because we're only a part of the lives or we only experience a part of the lives of those birds. And the journeys they undertake are amazing. But I always find it amazing to think that, you know, a swallow flying around our back gardens might see a cat. And then in a few weeks' time, they'll be in Southern Africa flying around lions and leopards. It's kind of amazing. I think they must come back the following year and think, call that thing a cat. That's pathetic. <laughs> but on the other hand, they're Irish because they're born here. And wherever you're born, that's where you're from. That's they're where you're from. Africa. Indeed. OK, lots of news about birds in the last week alone. Let's talk a little bit about the emperor penguins. What's going on with the emperor penguins? It was all over the news on Thursday night last Yes, emperor penguin, a really impressive bird. Breeds further south than any other animal on the planet. They breed right in the heart of Antarctica. Uh, you would think they'd be really inhospitable there, and it is, but the big advantage to them is that there are no predators, and they're so well adapted to that, to life in very cold conditions, uh, that they can thrive. Well, normally they can thrive. And in fact, they don't even nest there during the Antarctic summer. The main nesting is during the winter, when it's so dark and cold. Now, what's happening is obviously climate change. We know it's affecting the polar regions very, very severely, and unfortunately, it seems the most recent breeding season for these emperor penguins has been really nothing short of disastrous. We've seen some 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 huge huge losses. Um, it's really really um, really really scary to see it. Um, we know that um, based on that current modelling that they're saying, they think that um, perhaps over ninety percent of the colonies will be more or less extinct by the end of the century if global warming continues as it's predicted at the moment. It's really really shocking. 
Yes, and you would think if they're only sitting on the ice and the ice is all gone, couldn't they just sit on the, on the whatever soil is underneath? But I suppose it's moving. They don't fly. They have to walk. And walking on ice is quite different to walking on rocks and stones, which is what will be left when the ice is all gone. That's true. And I think that, but, but the biggest problem of all has actually been what's, what's been happening. The ice would, should remain frozen the whole time. And what's happening, it, it isn't. Um, adult penguins, that's not a problem for them because they're amazing swimmers. They have perfectly waterproof feathers. But we, we've all seen those those images of these free fluffy, cute, down-covered uh, little penguins, or quite large actually. Um, now that's an amazing insulation to keep them warm in the Antarctic winds, but unfortunately it's not waterproof. It takes several weeks, for the, or several months indeed, for those waterproof feathers to appear and cover their bodies. And what's happening is the, the sea ice and the land-based ice too is melting sooner than it should. It's leading to their, them taking on lots of water. They're, they're becoming waterlogged, the down is becoming sodden. Then this exposes them to the cold wind. They get hypothermia and they die very quickly. I can't look at an emperor penguin without thinking of Morgan Freeman. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the March of the Penguins. Anyway, we'll come back and talk a little bit about the Ospreys later mm. on.